do a lot of talking, bro. You do a lot of talking. All that screaming. Well, you better hope you can play as long as me. Hey, when you get on your knees and say your prayers tonight, pray. What happened between you and Tlaib on the field early in the game? I don't know. you going to ask him because he didn't finish the game. Ice up, son. Ice up. <laughs> Live. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. I know you're going to dig this. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. C. Martin. I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. The doctor is now in. Yeah, boy! Glad to have you with us on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Oh, yeah, plenty of football to talk with you about today. That's right, college football. Trevor Madge is going to join us. Of course, a good friend from ESPN on the college football side. Breaking it down, no one does the X's and O's like a Trevor Maddich. Yeah. Give me tell the story again about how he used to sit on his bed there at night at BYU with the M&M's and the green M&M's were the offense and, and the red were the defense. And yeah. Then he'd eat them all afterwards, of course. He wouldn't share them with anybody, none of his teammates. Anyway, so Trevor Maddich will join us a little bit later on this hour as we talk a little college football or plenty of college football, college football rankings, and then also diving into the matchups coming up uh, this weekend as well, too. Scott Spritzer will join us next hour. Uh, Scott, of course, our handicapper extraordinaire, 3-0, and not only last week, but the last two weeks for Scott Spritzer. 6-0 on the college side. So I got to give my man kudos for that. There you go. All right. Doc Sports, Scott Spritzer. He joins us next hour. So we'll have a lot of fun with that. All right. And uh, we will continue to update you. We've got more news regarding the Henry Ruggs situation where this now gets played out in court. And let's dive into this. Uh, the latest... With this now, today, we find out that a witness had said the firefighters were slow to extinguish the vehicle of Tina Tintor's car. Ah, boy. Here we go again. Do do I got to go off and blast David Chesnoff and Richard Schoenfeld again? Ah, After yesterday? All that nonsense? Okay, you talked me into it. Why not? All right. So, today, David Chesnoff and Richard Seanfield, the attorneys for Henry Henry Ruggs III, said, here's the quote, Firemen did not attempt to extinguish the fire at Ms. Tintor's vehicle for approximately 20 minutes, at which time the entire vehicle was engulfed in flames. Per a witness, all right, that's what they're saying, per a witness. However, they don't identify the witness in the court documents. The witness told the attorneys that he lives nearby the crash scene next to Numchuck and heard the crash and went out to look. Now, a county spokesperson, Eric Papa, said there were no delays in response or the attack on the fire. The captain on the scene reported that the vehicle was fully involved in the fire upon arrival and the passenger compartment was not survivable for anyone inside. So Ruggs' attorneys are seeking a court order to obtain uh, the Clark County Fire Department record about the crash and uh, a November 17th court hearing now has been scheduled. Now remember, this comes on the heels of yesterday's moronic statement by Chesnoff where he said, I've been doing this for 40 years. I can tell each and every one of you that I've had multiple experiences where the facts that were presented at the outset of the case turned out not to be the facts. So that's why I keep saying, please don't prejudge. Let us do the work in the courtroom. The state, the prosecutor will do theirs, and that's when the facts will be determined. So, as I said yesterday... And we still have that, right? Well, let, let's hear it from him because it doesn't do justice by me reading his moronic statement. Lawyers are constrained by what they can say about the facts of a case by court rule and state bar rules. The police aren't. 
The police, an arm of the district attorney, has released what they say are facts. I have been doing this for 40 years, and I can tell each and every one of you that I have had multiple experiences where the facts that were presented at the outset of the case turned out not to be the facts. So that's why I keep saying, please don't prejudge. Let us do our work in the courtroom. The, the state, the prosecutor will do theirs, and that's when the facts will be determined. And I really appreciate everybody understanding that and not prejudging this. I appreciate it. And I'm not going to answer any questions because, as I say, I'm not allowed to discuss the facts. I hope everybody has a good day. Of course you're not going to answer any questions because people will grill you over this nonsense. And what do you mean, thank you for understanding? No one understands this. I don't understand it. What are you talking about? Facts. No facts. What are you talking about? How about speeding at 156 miles per hour? Where's the facts? Oh, there's a video. We've all seen the video, right? We see one car chugging along at about 50, 55 miles per hour. And then a few seconds later, we see rugs like a madman going 156. You see the difference. They spent 10, 12 hours at the scene of the crime afterwards, coning everything off, having forensic scientists out there, medical examiners, all that. 156, indisputable, indisputable video evidence. Unlike many of the NFL football games we're watching, indisputable. That's a fact. Blood alcohol level, 0.161. That's in the report. That was taken within two hours of the crash. Indisputable, right? That's a fact. How can you question that? Therefore, with the blood alcohol level, we know that he had mucho alcohol consumed. We heard reports of 18 drinks served to him at Top Golf. Then he went over a friend's house after that. The correlation, obviously, alcohol, numerous drinks, probably that amount of drinks, equals double the legal limit. 0.161 is double the legal limit. It's in the report. How is that? Not factual. Damage to both cars. We have proof of that. Both cars totaled, mangled. Oh, and by the way, probably the most important thing, how about death? That's right. That's indisputable here. Tina Tintor is dead. Her dog is dead. These are non-disputable. These are the facts. So what he's saying is beyond my recognition of anything. This is ridiculous for him to go ahead and and say that. And this thing is going to get tried in the public. And it will. He doesn't want it to. And I get it. You want to protect your client. But in a situation like this, where this guy is guilty as can be, are you going to want to try to trim some of the stuff? Are you going to want to try to say that, that Ruggs didn't cause the accident? Are you kidding me? Of course he caused the accident. All this stuff... It's non-disputable. It's not. It, it's, it's plain and simple. And now, today, he comes out by saying that the fireman did not attempt to extinguish the fire in Miss Tintor's vehicle for approximately 20 minutes. And if you do have a witness here, why don't you name the witness? Witness isn't even named in the court document. So, yes. Meanwhile, Ruggs is on house arrest. Must be tested four times a day. With alcohol checks. But instead of behind bars, he's at home with an ankle bracelet where he claims he cannot wear because he's too injured because the severity of his broken ankle. Tina Tinter's funeral was today at uh, St. Simeon Suburban uh, Orthodox Church here in Las Vegas, followed by a private burial. Raiders and Aces owner Mark Davis uh, paid his respects. He went to the funeral today and uh, uh, just uh, very, very sad, as we know. So, yes, that funeral just concluded a little while ago uh, at the at, at St. Simeon. All right. So, yes, more stuff on that. All right. Want to bring in our good friend, Ballpark VGK Frank, who is recuperating, resting comfortably today. I wanted to bring him in, say hello, get a health update. But I know Frank has got some some commentary regarding this. And again, under normal circumstances, Frank would be sitting right next to me today like uh, uh, we traditionally do. And we would have plenty to banter, wouldn't we, Frank? Oh, yeah, for sure. And you want to talk about your facts and that. One thing that you didn't mention was it's a fact that uh, Ruggs was 
sitting on the curb, crying basically on his on the woman's shoulder by him, and uh, watching the car burn or whatever. Yep. So okay. It, 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 the paramedics or EMTs or fire department wasn't there. What was he doing? He was sitting there bawling like a baby on the curb because he knew that he just smashed into somebody and probably killed them. And so what? If the fire department would have been there a minute or two earlier because they have the travel time and everything too, um, what? Maybe they could have saved her so that she would be scarred for the rest of her life, burning and basically um, laying there incapacitated and everything else. No, the fact is Rubs is guilty as hell and deserves to be in prison, and it's actually kind of an insult that he even gets house arrest. Yeah, totally agree on all counts there. It's ridiculous. A $150,000 bond is a bit of a joke. And then when we look at what the, you know, what the terms could be or if he's found guilty, two years at the minimum and 53 for the maximum. And obviously he's, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to serve 53, but, you know, talking to people and talking to other lawyers, they say, unfortunately, in these type of cases, uh, as time goes on here, that the people that are guilty in these type of crimes really serve more towards the minimum. Now, I don't know because he's an athlete, because this is going to be tried out in the public. He was going, you know, this guy wasn't going 80 85, which is still ridiculous down Rainbow Boulevard, but going 156, double that speed. I mean, is that going to equate to more time? I mean, there's death involved here. I mean, there's so many things, the blood alcohol level. I mean, if this guy only gets two years, I mean, that would be a travesty. So it would be a total travesty. And like we mentioned last time when we talked about this, TC, uh, the other fact in the case, and you kind of touched on it already, was. Tina Tintor has no more time left. Her funeral's today. Her time on this earth is over with. Her family, her loved ones, everybody else that knew her, who she touched, people that she hadn't met yet that she was going to touch, they will never get the pleasure of knowing her and getting to meet her. She'll never get to live up to her potential. Okay, if he gets two years, in two years he's back out on the street. Well, unfortunately, this young lady is still six feet underground. It's a travesty. It's a joke. I hope he gets the absolute maximum, and it's not because I have anything personally against him, but I guess I do without even knowing him really because when you do something like this, you put yourself above everybody else on the planet. You don't give a damn about anybody except yourself, and there's a death involved, and now his lawyers are trying to play the, the, the fire department wasn't there on time. Well, maybe that's because they weren't going 156 miles an hour. Right, and uh... – Again, I understand that you you have to, you know, try to represent your client in the best way possible. But you've just got to be careful on, on what you're saying, just as a human being here. I mean, and just it just screams dirtbag attorney here when you come out and, and say these things. And like what he said yesterday, been doing this thing for forty years. Well, you heard the soundbite, you know, talking about well, you know, just because you hear some facts at the beginning of a case doesn't necessarily mean it's a fact. Every case is different, and it's not a blanket statement. And in this situation, you should just be tiptoeing around. I mean, if anything, if you're an attorney here, you do not want to come out in the public here because once they do select a jury, I mean, everyone's going to have a tainted you know, view, a negative view towards rugs anyway here. You can see that thing coming. So I don't know what he's trying to do. Uh, how you can practice law with you know this type of mentality and, and these type of uh, of game plan or whatever in the hell you want to call it? It's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know. You know, you bring up an interesting point there because you know who knows? Maybe in the back of his mind, his game plan is to put some doubt in people's yep. mind already beforehand or whatever by coming out here on the attack of attacking everybody except rugs and let's attack the fire department. Let's attack the police department. Let's, let's attack whoever. I mean, it's, it, it's just absolutely asinine. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. And you know, you bring up another thing there too. It's going to be difficult to find a jury that hasn't heard about this case or hasn't already formed an opinion. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see, you know, with a lot of these type of cases, they, they want to move it, you know, out of the County or, you know, move it out of the city and that sort of thing. But again, this is a national story. I mean, everybody, oh, sure. everybody knows about this. And, and then I, I don't know what, like you said, his, his plan here is how, how, to, how to try this case, but it's, it's not going to go well in the public eye. And again, it's just, 
It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And, and here's another thing, too, and this is really sad to say, but can you imagine the backlash if this had happened to someone else that I would say would be either more affluent or not even more affluent, but somebody that was that was tragically killed here that had a maybe a bigger a bigger family or a bigger uh, you know brand or whatever. This was a, a a girl, a female girl who was an immigrant from another country. And obviously she doesn't have a lot of family here. She doesn't have a lot of friends here. And she has a, a tight, close-knit circle. But if somebody else that had maybe uh, you know, a bigger, uh, you know, a popular focus or something like that, this thing could get really, really ugly out in the public. You know what I mean? Well, no, yeah, I, yeah, I understand what you mean there because, yeah, she, she, she was a cashier at. Target I hate to say that too, Frank. To I, from, yeah, from I, hate, that. I hate to say it like that, but, but just think. Well, I no, mean, and, and I don't, and I don't mean that to to dis- disparage right. her whatsoever. I mean, she is what she is. She was a normal, everyday, living human being, right. like ninety percent of the people out there, or more than that, that are going about our community, doing her thing, trying to better herself. Apparently, a, an extremely loved woman who was always there for her coworkers and friends and everybody else out there. But yeah, imagine if it would have been a, a casino host or, or 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 a boss someplace or or somebody in local politics or like you said, you know, somebody with a bigger name. And and I don't want to throw any names out there to right. say like you know, oh well, why what's he got against that family? But yeah, there's a lot of big names out there and a lot of big money and stuff like that. And you know, in the whole scheme of things. You know, she was somebody that wasn't well-known. But just because you're not well-known or not known by everybody doesn't make you any less important, doesn't make you any less significant, and certainly doesn't make you deserve or go through what she's going through. And now everybody that does know her, family, friends, and everybody else, they're going to go through this the rest of their life. They're never going to get to see her smile again. They're never going to get to hear her advice or talk to her or go out to lunch or do anything. Meanwhile, Henry Ruggs is at home bitching about it's uncomfortable to wear an ankle bracelet after I just literally killed somebody. Yeah. And I guess the reason why I bring this up is because you're really not hearing anything from the family and they 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 want to be quiet they it just it just it's just terrible i mean it's just it's downright awful that someone has to go through this and so imagine if you are in her small circle of family who is here or friends that she's made okay and you have to hear these comments on the day of her funeral you have to hear this goofball going out and saying, well, the fireman did not attempt to extinguish uh, the fire uh, in time. It took him 20 minutes to get there. It's like they're almost like, I don't want to say they're blaming the victim, but they're, 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 they're not having any accountability whatsoever with Henry Ruggs, their client. And I'm saying it's, that is ridiculous that, that the family members are, have to hear this type of rhetoric on the day that she's being buried. Well, yeah, and, and the other thing we haven't heard yet, and maybe his lawyers have told him not to do it, but where's the apology? Yeah, where's anything exactly. from? We hear Rose complaining about I got to wear my ankle bracelet. You know, his his lawyer talking about this, that, and the other stuff. Where the hell is the apology? You killed somebody because of your careless, reckless, reckless egotistical, self-centered being that you are. You killed someone, and you're bitching about your ankle bracelet. I mean. Maybe they said don't say that because then you're admitting guilt. Seriously? He's guilty. He was doing 156, like you mentioned. The videotape's there. The airbag shows the collision. The only way he's not guilty if it wasn't him behind the wheel. Because it was his car that hit her that led to her death. That, again, is another fact. That's it. Absolutely. You know, the, uh, the family started to go fund me. And they, you know, their goal was seven thousand dollars to cover the funeral expenses. Well, this GoFundMe for Tina Tintor has raised a hundred and two thousand dollars right now. Uh, so obviously, people care. Uh, this is a a story that is resonating 
you know, with everyone here in Las Vegas and the surrounding community, probably obviously outside of Las Vegas as well, too, for, for someone who really didn't, you know, no one really knew. I mean, that is fantastic. Uh, and I know the family, um, you know, put something out and said they're very grateful about the outpouring of love and support that they have received, $102,000. So that is fantastic. So, yes, if Chesnoff and Schoenfeld are going to try to, you know, try this case in, in out in the public, uh, good luck with that. Yeah, and unfortunately, this is the kind of stuff that makes lawyers get a bad name in a lot yeah. of ways. There's yeah. a lot of good lawyers out there who try their best and work for their clients but still play by the rules in that. To basically make all the aspersions they've made and the things that they've said in that already, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if sometime in a court case or something like that, they don't bring up with the way that this is going right now and the way they've started it out of, well, what was she doing out at that time of the morning in hours? You know, you know what I mean? Some other kind of garbage. It's like they're just trying to throw daggers in every other direction to avert the truth. He says he wants facts. He doesn't want facts because the facts show how unbelievably guilty his client is. Absolutely. All right, Ballpark Frank chiming in with us here on this Thursday. Frank, uh, I want to definitely get a health update with you, but uh, what else is is happening with you, man? I mean, usually, like I said, I I, I kind of steer a conversation when we talk about whether it's the Bears or something else. Uh, you you steer it, man. Tell me what 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 is on your mind as you're you're kicking back, you're at home. I know you're going through all kinds of therapy stuff, but from a sports perspective, uh, whether it's 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 this story that we just got done talking about or something else uh, around town or nationally, what's uh, what's kind of piqued your interest that you want to you know get off your chest? Well, I think that um, although the Bears aren't going anywhere this year, you mentioned the Bears, and I believe that the NFL officials for Monday Night Football should have just said. Tune in Monday night to see how much the, the Steelers beat the Bears by because that officiating was absolutely horrific. And the NFL, to me, right now has no integrity with it because it's a, a ridiculous joke. But other than that, I've just been watching a lot of different sports. I'm actually, believe it or not, watching tennis again because there's live stuff from Stockholm and other places going on. You know, trying to watch other things. Uh, just had a PET scan yesterday, which I never even really knew what one of those were. Never heard of it. It's basically a full body cat scan to make sure that uh you know they do that and they're going to make sure that i don't have any cancer anyplace else and that's literally from head to toe and got a little bit more uh stuff yesterday uh with some more chemo the the one day thing and dreading but looking forward to getting it over with next week which will be my uh, third round of chemo you know the five straight days of five to six hours every day it's a it's a total well i don't even want to say where it's a pain because it's literally a pain everywhere but uh just want to get through that and see where we are and, you know, fingers crossed the PET scan turns out all right and there's nothing else wrong and no other tumors or anything trying to sneak into my body. And uh, who knows, maybe in the not-too-distant future, I'll be out and about again. There you go, my friend. All right, so is it three rounds of chemo? Is is that what they have you slated for? Um Anything after that, or what are they telling you? Well, after that, they got to see if it's doing what it's supposed to do. Because the type of cancer I have, it's a sarcoma, which, again, didn't know that there was. I mean, I knew there was different cancers in that. But uh, it's a cancer that they actually, like, after the chemo in that, apparently it will not. They won't do surgery to remove it. The chemo should kill it enough and shrivel it up because there's three tumors total. They said that the two smaller ones, that it should basically just wipe them out. And the other one, it should shrink down enough and kill it in that, or it's not active in that. And it might actually still be like a lump in my body or something, I guess, from what they said. But it, it won't be harmful or anything else. But, uh, you know, that's knock on wood that everything's working like it, like they want it to and they expect it to. And uh, I think that's one of the things that the pet scan will determine, although the doctor continues to assure me that he knows that it's working just by the, uh, the side effects and everything else that's going on because it's uh, – you know, I, I know it kills the cancer, and that's what it wants to do, and that's what you want it to do or I want it to do. But, uh, you know, it also has killed my taste buds. It's wiped up my hair, gives you incredible fatigue. Uh, you know, I haven't had the most severe side effects, but I certainly haven't had none either. And the second round was bad, and some people tell me the second round is the worst, and then others like, no, it gets worse every round. So uh, not what I want to hear going into round three, but you know what? Hopefully it's an amateur fight, not a 12-rounder or nothing like that. It's over, and they raise my hand in victory, and I get to ring the bell. <laughs> All right, Canelo, that's what we're hoping for. Tyson Fury and Canelo. Uh, Tyson Fury, hey, he went down twice, but you know, still victorious. And I don't know if you heard the news. We talked about it yesterday where Fury had uh, two injured shoulders going into that fight. 
and he got cortisone shots going into it, and he had uh, surgery on both shoulders yesterday. So no one uh, really knew that or talked about that. But uh, there you go. Tyson Fury survived. Ballpark Frank can survive. Hell yeah, maybe Tyson Fury maybe he messed up his shoulders when he hit that bag so hard he ripped it out of the ceiling. That's right. Remember that? We talked about that. <laughs> Good point. Well, man, you sound great. You sound fantastic. Uh, that's great. And I know that uh, you get fatigued. Yeah, I know how much that you always like to, to walk and to do exercise and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, are you able to, to do that, or has, has it kind of wiped you out where you're not doing much of that at all right now? I don't do a lot of it for a couple reasons. For one thing, I do get a lot t- more tired. Like even just going to the store and picking some stuff, stuff, stuff up, I'm like, "Wow, how the hell am I tired just walking around looking for whatever I'm looking for at the store?" Not that I look for a lot these days because everything tastes like garbage. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm now old enough, and with the with the cancer and that, it's like I'm drinking and sure. So yay, another sign that I'm an old man. But uh, <laughs> but no, I mean I'm a little bit more shriveled. Plus, um, the other thing too is I. They tell me to try to avoid the sun. I mean, I have to go out for my chemotherapy and that, but I really can't walk or I'm not supposed to walk unless uh, till the sun goes down, which, of course, now is earlier with the stupid time change thing, which is a whole other topic that we could talk on, talk about an outdated thing that serves no purpose whatsoever in this world anymore. But, uh, but no, they said that ultraviolet light and that is bad. So I'm learning a lot about cancer and what it does and what it can do and what you're supposed to and not supposed to do about it. Stuff that I never wanted to know, but now I do. But it's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's life changing in a lot of different ways. But uh, you know, the the one thing that I'm thankful for is you know, hopefully just one more round to go, and then also hopefully uh, you know that uh, everything is okay from it, and and at least I am at home. And like I said before, I got my big screen, so I'm still watching stuff. And I know you and uh, you and a bunch of the crew with B Sal and C Win and that were at the uh, the Rebel game last night, so you know. There's there's a lot to watch on TV right now with basketball, football, tennis, whatever. So, uh, but yeah, there, there's stuff to to make my time pass, but not stuff that actually makes me go like my life is full because it's far from that at this point. Right. But I guess I still have one. <laughs> hey, no, you do, and uh, you keep keep the positive uh, thoughts and the spirits up. Keep uh, keep doing what the doctors tell you. And uh, again, if you, if you need me or Numchuck. To go shopping for you. I mean, I offered to go buy you some, some Coca-Cola's and everything, but like you said, it doesn't taste good. Uh, let us no, know, no, man. No, we're, no. We're, 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 we're there to uh, to go shopping for you, my friend. So there you go. All right, so a, a little Elton John for you today since you, uh, you you brought this up, you know, but not letting the sun go down, all right? So we'll still let it go down on you, my friend, okay? Yeah, well, uh, when it goes down, then I can come out. You know, I always said I moved out to Vegas because I'm part vampire. Now I'm literally having to live like one. (laughs) Hey, the good news is, right, that you're not going through all this in the summer months of June, July, August. You're going through the winter months here. So, And and if you got to go outside, at least the sun's not beating on you. I mean, you got maybe a high of 72. So look at the bright side there, right? Oh, the the weather's actually been nice and everything. So, But you know what? Trust me, there's no time of year that this is a good time to go through it. This is true. (laughs) This is true, my friend. All right, well, continue taking care of yourself, man. Keep updating us. And uh, we want to talk to you on a regular basis. And more importantly, uh, get healthy and get back here, my friend. Get back here as well as the Cosmopolitan on Fridays, okay? Um, I'm doing what I can. All I can do is what they tell me to do. You got it, brother. All right, brother. Be good, man. Praying for you. Appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. All right, take it easy. Good talking to you, TC. Gnome check. There it is. Ballpark Frank in the house. Yes, giving us an update. Sounding good. Sounding good. Loving it. And I'm running into people all the time. They're saying, hey, I was cool hearing Frank, man. He sounds good. He sounds great. He's keeping that chin up, baby. He's ducking them punches, man. He's bobbing. He's weaving. He's jabbing. He's sticking to the body. Time. There you go. All right, Trevor Maddich will join us next as we talk. College football. But losing everything is like the sun going down on me. All right, let me put some water on your board. More from the master debater. Martin. You'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. One, two, three, four. Tomorrow we are at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out. See the show live tomorrow. 
plethora of guests coming your way tomorrow, all right? Yes. Uh, Matt Holt uh, is going to join us. Curtis Terry, the former sharpshooting guard from UNLV, does a great job on the color commentary UNLV basketball on the radio side. He'll join us tomorrow. David Nori, a good friend of our next guest, Trevor Maddich, uh, will join us tomorrow. The pride of UCLA and former ESPN commentator. Uh, he'll be out at the Cosmopolitan tomorrow. Our best bet segment and a whole lot more. So uh, make sure you come on out tomorrow to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. All right, joining us now, our man on the college side. There he is, uh, working his uh, M&Ms uh, to the finest. He's got motion set going. I don't know if he's got a full house backfield or what with the M&Ms. He is Trevor Maddich, and he is also the king of the cowbell. What's going on, my friend? I am getting ready to eat those M&Ms. <laughs> In college, I used to put out on the bed the night before games, since I played center, the offensive and defense formations, and I would do things with the defense that might mess up our calls for blitz pickup and figure out what I would do. When I was done, I would eat them up. And what I discovered is that defenders are crunchies. <laughs> this, I mean, I th- those would be, like I think, like, you know, pretty sweaty. I mean, all the movement that's going around there, Trevor, and all that sort of thing. I mean, you sure none of those like slipped on the floor or anything of that nature? I mean, underneath the covers, and you still went and, and put them in your mouth? Nope. It was on a clean part of the sheet, and if I know <laughs> I'm going to eat them when I'm done, I take exquisite care of them. Exquisite if I know I'm care. not going to eat them, then those poor M&Ms, are, all bets are off. Are you crazy? There you go, my friend. Good stuff there. All right. All right, my friend, uh, college football, uh, the playoff rankings, the second edition unveiled the other night. We've got Ugga at the top. we got Bama right behind. Oregon is it now at number three, Ohio State number four, and still your Cincinnati Bearcats on the outside looking in at number five, followed by Michigan, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Notre Dame. And uh, it seems like the committee got it right there, Trevor, with head-to-head actually meaning something with Oregon over Ohio State. But the committee didn't get it right because uh, we all know that Sparty beat Michigan, led from wire to wire in that game, basically. Well, actually, they erased a 16-point deficit, right? But Michigan is ahead of Michigan State. And uh, our good friend Tim Brando is saying conspiracy theory all the way here. What do you say, Trevor Maddich? I was wrong. PC, I was wrong. In the first ranking last week, I thought that the committee had Oregon ahead of Ohio State, even though Ohio State right now is the better team because Oregon beat them in week two in September. And I thought the committee did that because they respected head-to-head. No, they don't. Correct. To the committee, head-to-head is just another game to be able to input data into the almighty spreadsheet. An anonymous game, as if you didn't even play that team, you just played a team. And so when Michigan and Michigan State played, Michigan State won the game just a couple of weeks ago. Michigan and Michigan State have the same record, so we're talking apples to apples in our comparison. And the committee found some way to erase what Michigan State accomplished on the field and to override it because they put data into the almighty spreadsheet, and the almighty spreadsheet spit out that Michigan was the better team. Well, garbage in, garbage out. And I'll tell you this, I I respect the committee, but I could not possibly disagree more with what they value the most. I mean, to me, head-to-head among teams with the same record and conference championship should be the highest bar that everything else has to overcome. To the committee, it's the opposite. They have head-to-head and conference championship at the far end of the end of the process to differentiate teams if you're splitting hairs because you couldn't differentiate them through any other way. And I think that is absolutely opposite. And I want to respect the committee, TC. I hate the spreadsheet and you're all right i mean it is just a category in one to eight or whatever it is with the spreadsheet where head-to-head shouldn't be just on the spreadsheet trevor like you said it should be the number one component especially in a small body of work and this is what we have here okay we it's not like major league baseball you got 162 games okay it's, it's not like the NFL where you've got 17 regular season games. We have got basically 10, 11 regular season games. Then we get into our playoffs and that sort of thing. We have a very small body of work. So head-to-head should not only just be included. Head-to-head should trump everything. It should trump 
every other category when it is uh, applicable. And it is right here in two of these instances. And like you said, okay, uh, they got it right there. But over on the other side, they don't have it right. It makes zero sense. And how can you leave that committee meeting or that Zoom call or whatever it is nowadays and say, wait, wait, guys, we can't release this because, look, we got the head-to-head right here with Oregon and Ohio State, but this head-to-head, we don't. We got to change this up before we go public with this, right? Why doesn't this happen? Well, it's because they're not, they're not saying the head-to-head matters. <laughs> and that's where the conundrum is. I've been trying to figure out. Then why what have they, it in there at all then? Why is it even on the spreadsheet then, right? Well, it's not. It's a it's a tiebreaker at the end. Oh jeez. So now you let's say that uh you know, let's say that it would have worked out. Let's say that Michigan State didn't didn't um lose to Purdue, right? And let's say they were undefeated and and it turned out that Michigan State lost one game, Michigan lost one game, and it just turns out that way, right? Where they both just lose one game. It still could be that way, by the way. Um and so let's say that that happens. They get to the very end of it. Now they try to figure out, okay, what's their strength of schedule? What's their strength of record? Who beat the highest-ranked team? I'll put all this stuff into the spreadsheet. And if they come up with a team that is better based on all that, they'll ignore that they actually played each other and have the same record. If they still can't tell who's the better team, then they'll say, okay, did they play each other? Right, and that's at the end of the process, and that's why it's so frustrating for those of us who who think that head to head among teams that have the same record should you know should be the most important single thing that can be overcome, but it needs to be a really high bar. But even so, the spreadsheet for Michigan and Michigan State, Michigan State at seven now, Michigan at six, even though the Spartans won the game head to head, and they both have the same record, the the spreadsheet favors Michigan State. Because Michigan State has a win over the sixth-ranked team in the country. That's Michigan. Michigan does not have a win over a team that's currently ranked. So not only did Michigan State beat Michigan head-to-head, Michigan State's best win is better in an anonymous fashion than Michigan's best win. If you take out the fact that their best win was against Michigan and Michigan's highly ranked, right? So that doesn't make sense at all. Now, there are a lot of situations, TC, where the committee can't get it right. They're, they're going to make somebody mad, and there really isn't a right answer or a wrong answer. It's just what your preference is. But in this case, same record. Michigan State has head-to-head. Michigan State has a higher-ranked anonymous win if you take the helmets off. And they still are behind Michigan because of some metrics that they plugged into the almighty spreadsheet. Now, I do believe that Michigan's the better team. I think they're more balanced. I think their defense is better. Michigan State was better that day. But that's why you play. And you don't even need them to play if you're just going to say, well, it, you know, it's like I was on uh, Mike Golick Jr.'s show with Chris Canty, right? Golick Jr.'s uh, uh, this radio show, ESPN Radio. Right. Golick Jr. is an offensive lineman. Canty's a defensive lineman. So we were having a lot of fun with that. And, and so the way I described it to Canty was because he thinks this is fine. Uh, I said, okay, let's say you're pass rushing against Golik, and you throw an amazing first move, but Golik stops it. Then you throw an incredible counter. You spin back inside so low that you're spitting out grass, right? It's just, but Golik does slide in front, and he stops it, and you don't get the sack. But some committee says, man, that was two amazing moves on the same pass rush. Yeah, he didn't get to the quarterback, but it was so amazing. Let's give him the sack anyway <laughs> that's right right that's a great that's, point alignment can understand yep. that right right uh that's perfect trevor match uh, joins us all right trevor the common narrative and we are hearing a lot of this is it's early this will all work itself out are you buying that and looking ahead at at the schedule for these teams the ones that are involved here are you under the belief that it all will work out. So maybe all of this, you know, talking right now is a little premature. What do you think? I do believe that in the end, it'll be a much more clear cut and and much more uh, highly accepted final four. But right now, we have what we have. But how can and you have so, faith? Seriously, how can you have faith that it's that the committee's going to get this right four or five weeks down the road? Because they won't have a choice. 
Right. And don't get it right according to their criteria. I, I'm not I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying their criteria should be switched. You know, they're 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 doing it like they're like they're doing it. But their their method to me is uh is should should be adjusted. So I want to really differentiate between what I think about the people on the committee, which is I think very highly of them. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and the criteria that they use in order to come to these conclusions. But here's the thing, though. This is this is why I think it'll um, uh, it'll work out okay. Uh, and it's because you know Georgia and Alabama are going to play each other, probably, right? right? Alabama has to beat Arkansas and Auburn. If they don't, and A and M wins out, and and Alabama picks up a loss, A and M has a tiebreaker over Alabama, and A and M will go play Georgia in the NCC. Oh, Champions oh, and, and by the way, why? Oh, head to head, right? Okay, just want to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah, and if that sort of thing, Matt. Yeah, Cincinnati. If it comes down to Cincinnati and Notre Dame for that fourth spot, yeah. Well, they, the committee might think Notre Dame's better. They might think Notre Dame played a better schedule. But oh yeah, they played. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, but that's that. That won't matter unless it's a tiebreaker at the end. But for now, if Georgia, if it's Georgia and Alabama, right, and Alabama wins a close one, both Georgia and Alabama are going to be in, and nobody's going to dispute that. If Georgia beats the the team from the SEC West by more than a touchdown. So it, it's two scores, right, or more. No matter who it is, then the SEC will put one team in, and nobody's going to dispute that either. Oregon, if they win out, they will be in because they have that win over Ohio State, and they're a one-loss Power 5 champion, and they will have to beat Utah probably twice in order to get there. And, and that everybody knows that at this time of year, that's a tough thing to do. So that will take care of itself. The Big Ten will take care of itself because Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State all have one loss, so they're not going to put two teams in. And Michigan State and Michigan still have to both play Ohio State. So that's going to take care of itself. And if one of those three teams wins out, then the Big Ten champ, that team, will be in the playoff, right? Oklahoma, if they win out, no one's going to dispute that they should be in. The question, And, and by the way, all these teams in over Cincinnati. Where and I don't think people will dispute it because there's enough going on uh, down the stretch with backloaded schedules that Cincinnati can't match based on the strength of schedule that they have remaining. Although SMU is a tough out and Houston in the in the conference championship game will be a super tough out. Even so, um, as these teams play each other, now what I think will happen is this: I just put out a tweet yesterday that said what the committee's top four is right now, which is Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State. And then I said, and by the way, my top four right now are the same four. Um, and then I said, what four teams I think will be the last poll that make the playoff, right? The last committee ranking. And that is Georgia, number one, then Ohio State, then Oklahoma at three. Oklahoma's eight right now, but I think Oklahoma at three and Cincinnati at four. That's what I think it's going to turn out because I do think that Georgia will win that SEC championship game by more than one score. I do think that Oregon will lose a game, um, and I do think that Ohio State will, or excuse me, Oklahoma will win out. So that gives you SEC champion, but just one from the SEC, Big Ten champion, Big 12 champion, Pac-12 and ACC are out in this scenario, and then it would come down to Notre Dame or Cincinnati, and at that point the committee would have to put Cincinnati in, you would think. Um, and so that's why I think those will be the four. And that's why, to answer your original question about a month ago, TC, that's why I think that this will take care of itself. And in the end, it won't be as controversial as it is now because there just won't be that many variables. All right, let's talk about this. So majority of these teams we're talking about have one loss right now. There's only three unbeaten teams in, in Georgia, Cincinnati, and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is, is, is at the back end, but they've got some, some tough games. And that's going to sort itself out. All right. So we talk about Cincinnati and you know their strength of schedule really not good, but they're undefeated and they're on the outside looking at. Okay, Cincinnati's signature win is Notre Dame. Trevor, for a minute here, let's talk about Notre Dame. And you mentioned them in their scenario; it's kind of a long shot. But if we're going to talk about strength of schedule here, the Irish have that one loss against Cincinnati, who is currently number five. Okay, so that's if, if there's anything as a good loss. I mean, it's a good loss, I guess. But look who the Irish have beat. All right, now these guys aren't world beaters, but still, they beat Florida State, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Wisconsin, and, the, and all of a sudden, Wisconsin is now looking like the Wisconsin that we were used to seeing, and Purdue, who has a couple of big upsets here. Notre Dame already has beaten these teams, 
And they look pretty good, but they have that lone loss to Cincinnati. Should we maybe think about Notre Dame should be up here a little bit higher? I think a lot of people would say so. I mean, they got better uh, wins you, than Oklahoma or even Michigan State or Michigan, for that matter, and definitely yeah, Cincinnati. But, down, but I understand Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. But down the stretch, since uh, Michigan or Michigan State will have to beat Ohio State in order to to you know be a playoff contender, right. and that'll be you know that'll be a better win than Notre Dame will have the entire season. Uh, Notre Dame, if you compare them to Cincinnati, and you put it into the spreadsheet. You might think that Notre Dame's the better team, even though Cincinnati beat them uh, in South Bend. But when you look at the, the best win, the most highly ranked win, Cincinnati's best win will have been number nine, Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame's best win will be current number 18, Wisconsin. So yeah. there's a lot of reasons why Notre Dame can win out and still be behind uh, Cincinnati. The thing about Oklahoma, who's at number eight, one spot above Notre Dame right now, is their strength of schedule going forward, uh, Oklahoma, is a lot better and has a lot more potential juice than Notre Dame has. I mean, they've got to play Baylor this week, uh, and then they've got to play an Iowa State team that's respected and dangerous, even though they're not ranked right now. And then they've got to face Oklahoma State in Bedlam. And as long as both of those teams, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, keep winning, that'll be a top-ten matchup. And then they'll probably play Oklahoma State again. Uh, and, and, and whoever wins... Bedlam will still be a relatively highly ranked team, right? Probably in the top 15 still. And so that'll be more juice in the Big 12 championship game that Notre Dame, that Notre Dame will try to make up by beating Stanford. Right. right? And so this is where the Irish, I think, uh, they need Cincinnati to lose. Yeah. They really need Cincinnati. And Cincinnati might, the way they've been playing. All right. All right. Trevor Match, ESPN, uh, joins us. Uh, Trevor joins us for our best bets each and every Friday. And I don't know what your best bets are as of yet, Trevor, but there's a couple games I want to get your opinion on here. And you just mentioned it. Oklahoma Baylor. I mean, just think if Baylor would have beat TCU like uh, we thought they would last week and, and they didn't get the job done. They obviously look ahead game. So this game has lost a little luster, but still, Oklahoma got a very tough time going to Waco to play Baylor. How do you see this game shaking out? I see this being uh, Oklahoma wants to make it a uh, 2021 Big 12 offensive show and make it a track meet, and Baylor wants to make it a 1978 Big 10-style three yards in the crowd AstroTurf because these are the top two offenses in the Big 12. Oklahoma does it primarily with passing with a pretty good running game. Baylor does it primarily with running with a, with a better passing game than you expect. And I think what Baylor wants to do is, is just smash the Oklahoma defense, keep Caleb Williams and the Sooner offense on the sideline, and turn this into uh, you know just a, a, a slow, grinding, take the air out of the clock kind of a game where they take over in the fourth quarter because they have worn down the Oklahoma defense. So now that, that, that is what they will try to do. Whether they can do it is a different question. Oklahoma has been banged up for most of the year on both sides of the ball. They had a bye week last week, and this will be the healthiest Oklahoma has been really since since early September. So it'll be interesting to see how that bye week factors into countering what Baylor's going to try to do. All right, Michigan-Penn State. Could we have an upset special here? Could the Nittany Lions show up at home and, and get Michigan that could. loss? Yeah, yeah no, they, they absolutely could. Because Penn State, when Sean Clifford is fully healthy, have one of the best passing attacks in the Big Ten and really one of the better passing attacks in the country. Now, they can't run. And the way that Michigan State beat Michigan was that Spartan running back Kenneth Walker III, Heisman candidate, at least until they, they lost to Purdue, um, he went off, scored five touchdowns against the Wolverines. Penn State can't match that because Penn State can't run. But what Penn State wants this to become is a, a quarterback duel. So I expect them to come up and try to stop that Michigan run, which is one of the best running attacks in the country still. And, and turn it into Cade McNamara against Sean Clifford. Well, the thing about McNamara, though, is that Michigan offense has become quite good. And the loss to Michigan State, they threw for over 400 yards, Michigan did. And so that would be interesting. But Penn State is a threat to beat Michigan precisely because if this turns into a track meet, it's going to be, it's going to be edge to Sean Clifford thrown to Jahan Dotson and those outstanding Nittany Lion wide receivers. All right. All right. Good stuff. Trevor Manich, uh, one last thing here. I want to get your take. 
UConn names Jim Moore as their head coach. People, of course, know Jim Moore for his days coaching the NFL and also at UCLA as well. Hasn't really coached since UCLA let him go many, many years ago. Uh, this UConn program has been abysmal. But, you know, for those that, that can remember, UConn went to a Fiesta Bowl. They were a top 10 team for a couple years. I mean, this they had a pretty good program. Can Jim Mora resurrect this program? What are your thoughts on the hire? I think, I think it's a good hire for them. I mean, you would think that UConn would take somebody that's completely unknown because that's what they would sort of have to do. And that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes you get that unknown guy. He turns out to be a young, talented coach. But Jim Moore is a guy with a bit of a name, right? His his name is well-known in football for a while, right? Parents will know the Moore name from his father and then from, from Jim with what he's done both at UCLA on the college level and at ESPN as an analyst, a very right. good analyst, by the way. Right. So when he walks into a room, he's got a bit of star power. That is more than I think that Cincinnati could have gotten a different way. And the thing of it is, he's a very creative mind. And so I, I think it's a good hire for UConn. Now it's a matter of giving him the resources and the patience to be able to start to build it up. Because the way Randy Etzel built it up to begin with, when they went from FCS level to FBS originally, is he had to bring in special teamers that could compete, compete on an FBS level. Then they won a few games, and they were able to get backups that could compete at, a, at, at the FBS level. Won a few more games, and that attracted a few FBS starter-level guys. And so they built it up that way, and that's what Moore is going to have to do again from scratch. All right, Trevor Maddich, ESPN, does a fantastic job. See him on Sports Centers usually on Thursdays and Fridays, and you know the schedule better than I do, Trevor. And then Saturdays, he's all over the radio uh, with uh, the college football uh, game day, the radio version where he's, he's breaking down the action as it unfolds with the marathon day, my friend. So uh, great stuff as always. Always appreciate you, man. Thanks, DC. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me on. You got it. And tomorrow, Trevor will join us live from the Cosmopolitan as uh, we get his best bets as well. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. All right. There he is. Great stuff. Great breakdown as always. Scott Spritzer is going to join us next hour, so hang tight for that as we start talking about some other college football games and the NFL. We start going over the matchups for this coming week, what, week 10 in the National Football League. We dive into that, all right? That and a whole lot more coming your way. It is the T.C. Martin Show on this thunderous Thursday.